This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society. And we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. And hello, Hearts of Oak. Thank you so much for joining us on this Saturday evening. And it is wonderful to have Dr. Neil McRae back with us once again. Neil, thank you, as always, for your time. Good to be on, Peter. Great to have you on. And before we jump in, let's just check to see if we are live on everything. If the my great moderator team can just let me know if we are live. We should be. We're on. I see we're on Getter. So anyone on Getter, drop your comments down the side and we'll pick those up if we can. And we can see Facebook is good. So if you're watching on Facebook, thank you very much. You haven't made jump over to Getter or Rumble our website. You can, of course, watch on heartsofoak.org forward slash live stream. Uh, all, all the videos are up there and all the live streams are up there so you can watch so we're on rumble we're on d live on facebook on getter not on youtube because i wouldn't subject uh neil mccray to youtube censorship it could be a short show if we did that uh but we're on everything else so however you're watching thank you so much for tuning in great to have you with us and there's chris davis 33 is first up on getter Good evening, Chris. Chris says, good evening, Peter, back. So great to have you. You're first up. Uh, anyone else, drop your comments down the side and we'll try and see if we can pull some of those in. Now, Neil, how, before we jump into the stories, um, we were at two different events today. Do you want to give yours? I'll mention mine and then we'll jump into the topics. Yeah. Well, well I, I wish I was at your event, uh, Peter, which you, you, you go on to describe. <laughs> Uh, my experience was um, really very negative. Um, and some of your viewers may think I'm going a bit over the top here. But I would say what I experienced in central London today in the wake of the Queen's death was a national disgrace. We arrived at Victoria Station and it became readily apparent that we, were, we wouldn't be able to get to uh, Westminster Square uh, and then from there we were going to go up to Trafalgar Square. So we had to go around the back a little bit. But it became apparent very early on that there were only certain pavements that you were allowed to walk on. Streets were all fenced off. And uh, there were all these um, stewards, all, uh, all foreigners in yellow vests. And, you know, uh, <laughs> I asked one, a group of three of them, actually, they were chatting away in some foreign language. And I just asked them, how, how can I get to Trafalgar Square? And this guy, you know, they, they obviously, they're friendly, but they don't obviously know London, you know, they're just looking at a map and say, oh, it's over that way somewhere. And the thing is, you know, I've lived in London for 20 odd years. I don't need to know where Trafalgar Square is. I just wanted to know um, how I could get to it with the completely over the top um, corralling of um, pedestrians. But anyway, he wasn't able to help me. So well, we, we found our way to Trafalgar Square, got there eventually, all fenced off. Yeah. And we were told that it was fenced off for the media. Somebody else told us it was fenced off for something to do with Joe Biden. Well, wh whatever. The fact is that it was fenced off. So here at the occasion of, the, you know, the, the Queen's funeral, um, a, a landmark site, Trafalgar Square, was blocked off. And then it just got worse, Peter, because then we kind of went, started going over towards... Um, Green Park and, and you know that that sort of side of Buckingham you you couldn't get near Buckingham Palace I I, I wasn't completely surprised at that but um that Green Park was almost entirely closed there was a narrow uh, bit at the top end of the park where you could walk along um with with a green hoardings on one side 
and um, uh, the 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 the, the um, iron fence with Piccadilly on the other, and people just crammed in. And this is what was going on all through central London today: is congestion of pedestrians, people who had come. So, look, for me, it doesn't really matter. Like, like you, Peter, um, I've lost a lot of respect for the royal family over the last two or three years. It wasn't a big thing for me. I've seen the Queen before. It, it wasn't a big deal, right? But there were people coming from all over the country, probably people coming from abroad, and their experience today, and you could see how disappointed people were. They were, they were fenced in. In, 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 into um, long lines of people where they couldn't see anything at all, just wooden hoardings. And there was just thousands of police. And I guess the police will say it was all a successful operation today. But what a miserable experience that was for people who came to pay their respects to our monarch of, what, uh, 70 years I thought it was a national disgrace. And contrast that with the, say, the celebrations at the end of World War II, or even more recent things like the Olympic torch ceremony, um, other royal events that have happened recently. I, I, I thought it was just a stunning um, reinforcement of how the people are no longer given any respect by the authorities. Yeah. Not at no. all. Yeah, and, I agree. Uh, it, yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, honestly, Peter, it was. I, I'm glad I went because I could observe it. And as a writer, I'll probably do an article on it. And I was able to come on your show tonight and speak about it. But yeah, uh, it was. It was shocking, really shocking. And you know, my daughters, you know, you could see how disappointed they were with it. Yeah. it no, really, really awful. No, I agree. So when when I went last Sunday, we thought we'd pop around and see all boarded off, uh, and at least you should have you could have barriers up, but you see through. But everything was boarded off and kind of private, so you're the public kept out. So I agree. Um, my I enjoyed Chris Guy and David Ike obviously much more than than your. Uh, I went outside the Bank of England for that freedom demo, and uh, Chris Guy, David Ike were speaking along with many others, and we live streamed that. Um, so. Um, uh, most of the live stream was good, a bit choppy, but it was good to hear uh, both of them speak. I've heard David Icke speak before, never heard Chris Guy. So that was, uh, my day was more uplifting than yours, I think, Neil. Um, yeah. Let, let's jump into just, uh, I see Nanny Annie says, evening everyone, hearts of oak, you're watching DLive, great to have you. Rose Roberts on VK, um, Thank you, Peter, for your truth. Talking about Jimmy Savile and Buckingham Palace. Talking about not a royalist. Um, we'll get on to that. Uh, I have become, uh, I grew up a monarchist. Uh, I don't know whether I am anymore. I'm grappling with that. And I think many people are with what we've seen over the last couple of years. Uh, let me, oh, more, come on, more people have a chat on Getter. Uh, Julie says, hello, hearts of Oak and Neil. Uh, Villain82, good evening, chaps, from Chris and Brownhills, Walsall. Plemborola, howdy ho. Uh, happy to have a recap. Uh, well, we we're just discussing Neil and my day. So that's what we've done so far. Anyone else, stick your comments down the side. Let me know how you are watching. Oh, Plemborola just says, just located the good doctor on Gab. Well, Gab, uh, Neil is on Gab there at Neil McRae. You can see it, you can follow him. And you can uh, enjoy his commentary on there. So uh, do follow him on Gab. Everyone else, drop your comments down. Let us know how you're watching. It's always fun to have the last time I went through all the comments. There were at least a dozen different states, US states. Uh, we had some from Canada and elsewhere. So always good to know where you're from. Uh, and I'll try and pull those in. But let's jump in the first story, which is Alex Belfield. Uh, let me remove let me pull that away we're gonna remove that this is alex belfield former bbc presenter jailed for stalking and if we scroll down on that let me just read a little bit so a former bbc radio presenter found guilty of stalking four people including broadcaster jeremy vine you can't say anything bad against jeremy vine has been jailed for five 
and a half years. Obviously, Alex Belfield runs his uh, YouTube channel, uh, which many of us will have watched. So this has just happened. This is all out there. Five and a half years. Um, I was I was blown away by that sentence. Neil, tell us your thoughts about it. Same as you, Peter, even though I've come to expect the very worst of the authorities in terms of exemplary sentences against people who protest against the official narrative. I mean, five and a half years, you think that that um, uh, very violent um, guy who was attacking the police officers in Leicester Square of a knife. Yeah, many of your viewers will have seen that clip um, from just the same day that Alex Belfield was jailed for five and a half years. And, you know, he's um, uh, caused perhaps life-changing injuries to at least one of those police officers. Um, uh, well, what, what's he going to get? You know, uh, is, is he going to get anything like the five and a half years Alex Belfield got simply for sending... Um, you know, they may have been unpleasant, the messages that Alex Belfield was sending to the likes of Jeremy Icke and others, but he made no no physical contact with them. Mm. Um, he, he obviously felt very wronged by what happened to him in the BBC. But what's um, happened with the sentencing is that um, because he's ex-BBC, he's got... A, 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 um, an even worse sentence, I think, yeah. than if he was um, someone like uh, uh, you, you, Peter, um, because he, you know, he's he's been treated with absolute vengeance, I think, by the authorities. And let's let's be honest, the BBC, the judiciary, it's all part of the same establishment, isn't yeah. it? Um, Jeremy Vile, um, he was calling for forced injections which I would regard as incitement. It's yep. at least a public order offence. And nothing was done about him at all. Mm. And if you look more broadly at the BBC, so this is, you know, journalists around the world are complaining about the abuse they've been getting over the last two or three years. Um, Well-deserved, I would suggest, but they're complaining about it. Well, they are also engaging themselves in all kinds of efforts to have people cancelled or, mm. as in Alex Belfield's case, um, incarcerated. Um, the BBC, I don't know if this is another item that we're going to talk about, but just very quickly mention it. The BBC, our public service broadcaster, uh, has just urged Facebook to remove a group on Facebook set up for people who'd experienced um, injuries from the COVID vaccine. So, Neil, let me, that's our next story. Let me bring it up uh, well, on the ball, as always. So, BBC <laughs> Boost, and this is Daily Skeptic, a great website. I think it's, is Toby Young the one behind Daily Skeptic? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, so he and, did uh, lockdown skeptic and then daily scan. But BBC boasts it got vaccine injured support group with 250,000 members removed from Facebook. This is not a group of 250,000 people who are just expressing anger at the vaccine or concerns, but that should be allowed. These are people who are exp expressing medical stories of damage. It's there in plain to see. It's not simply voice and opinion, which should be allowed. It's even further than that. It's actually talking about loved ones who have been severely hurt and damaged because of this. And the BBC don't want that story to get out. This is this is really good. This is massive overreach by the BBC. Well, it, it's certainly ultra-virus. It's got nothing to do with their role as a public service broadcaster. Um, if the BBC were really doing its duty, what would it be doing here, Peter? It would be investigating yep. the mounting concerns about the adverse effects of these experimental injections, right? It would be looking into the unholy alliance of governments and big pharma. But no, it's not doing that. And why isn't it doing it? Because that would be biting the hand that feeds. Mm -hmm. And again, we have an establishment 
stitch up. So you see, has really um, it is really not doing its public service duty at all. That's bad enough. But worse oh, Neil, Neil, your hold, hold, Neil, we're losing your audio. Oh, Give on. me a one, two, three. Oh, what happened? What happened, Neil's audio? He was attacking the BBC. He hasn't got a five and a half year jail sentence yet, but. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Oh. Yeah, that should be okay now. No. How's that? No. What's happened to your audio? Is that any better? Oh, that's better, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I just realized the uh, power was going. Um, yeah. Oh. So... <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So, yeah, this, yeah. I missed the last 10 seconds. The BBC, if it were doing its duty, it would be investigating these concerns. And and I find it deeply troubling that people's own personal experiences, uh, whether it's themselves or whether it's um, uh, their loved ones who have actually been harmed by these vaccines, and that that is being not only dismissed by the BBC, but they're actually trying to snuff out anyone from even discussing it, which is a really d disgusting state of affairs. Um, and, and the problem is for the BBC, uh, Peter, is that too many people now have woken up to what's going on. Too many people. Okay, still maybe a minority, but it's quite a large minority now. And to call people who are complaining about the adverse effects of the vaccine, to call them anti-vaxxers, what an insult that is. Mm. Because these are people who took the vaccine. Yep. They're people yep. that had faith in what the so-called experts were telling them and what the government was telling them to do. And this, this is what they get for it. They, they get injuries, which some of which could be lasting, and they get the BBC smearing them yeah. and silencing them. So it, it's, it's a very bad state of affairs. But it does also show, Peter, that there's a bit of desperation creeping in uh, with the official narrative now. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, th this story, which follows that from the Daily Mail, British medical journal faces backlash from leading scientists for publishing another one-sided COVID inquiry piece from a group of hardline experts who've repeatedly criticised Number 10 for ditching restrictions too early. It was the BMJ, which is the British medical journal, uh, published a swathe of articles from left-wing experts as part of its ongoing COVID inquiry. And it's, it is it is interesting that we have the legacy media, the mainstream media, beginning to push back at this. It is two years too late. Um, but it, it's interesting to see this battle now when the Daily Mail took a hook, line, and sinker and was fighting for everyone to get jabbed as much as they could uh, and would dismiss any concerns. But there is that now battle happening, and I hope we see a lot more of this. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I agree that this is good to see this, this sort of change in how the media are reporting COVID. But I fear that it, it's not just that it's, a, it's too little too late, as you, mm. as you suggested, I, I fear that this is all controlled yep. and that it's now okay for media to come out with some stories about how badly COVID was um, managed, you know. And so, so, so the, 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 the idea that the, that the authorities want you to have is that perhaps fewer people would have died if they'd managed COVID differently, or, you know, uh, th there may have been slightly less economic damage if they'd managed it 
differently. That's the way they want you to think. So this is this all smacks of a kind of controlled release valve. Yeah. The, the, the problem, I think, the underlying problem to all this is that COVID was done for a purpose and it has achieved so much of that purpose. Yeah. Um, and, and you look now at the World Health Organization, governments around the world, even the, the more um, uh, lockdown zealot governments like New Zealand, they've all moved on from COVID now. I mean, even the World Health Organization is saying that the pandemic is just about over. So it's done its job. Yeah. You know, you think of the dramatic changes that have been brought. Oh, yeah. Uh, on on uh, you know in, in the last two or three years in society and just how much the governments of the world can you know rub their hands in glee at how easily the populace were fooled by the propaganda and how frightened they were by the camp campaigns of um terror um you know it, it's it's done so much for the the project if you like the globalization great research project no i agree Let, let's carry on the story but just before uh there are only two of you said uh plum says canada in the house london or ontario great to have you and his always vicky of course from florida uh so anyone else let us know where you're watching or if you're in a, a dull dark uh corner of the uk uh let us know how you're watching so drop your place where you are um this again this is john hopkins university and i saw it actually elsewhere but actually they had done the research so it's just out just a few days ago and the title is heart attacks striking younger women if we scroll down we find uh, a whole host of data younger women are having more heart attacks, says a recent study. Researchers were surprised to find that while the heart attack rate has decreased amongst older adults, it's risen amongst those 35 to 54, especially women. Um, they had reviewed more than 28,000 hospitalizations for heart attacks in four cities. Uh, again, I think every week, we probably touch on another story discussing a rise in heart attacks. I wonder where the penny dropped for these people, Neil. Well, you, you, you would think that uh, any person with half a brain could work out the uh, connection between uh, heart attacks and myocarditis and all kinds of other effects these uh, what, what they call um, sudden adult uh, death syndrome and yep. uh, um, unknown cause and uh, doctors baffled and uh, uh, short illness and all these euphemisms um, but, but so you know there have been many many uh, deaths of people who are at their, the peak of their, their, their fitness but there's probably a much, much larger pool of people who have um, been injured uh, by these uh, vaccines. And, you know, anything cardiac, that's quite troubling. You, you know, it, once you get some kind of cardiac disease, it doesn't really go away. I mean, you're going to be plagued with that for the rest of your life. As soon as you start taking cardiac medication like beta blockers, you've got to carry on taking them. It's life changing. Um now, I think, Peter, that when this COVID-19 was planned, they knew that they wouldn't be able to keep people's fear levels up mm. forever because it was basically a, a coronavirus, right? And I think just rebranding. Yeah. Um, coronaviruses and influenza viruses are already out there but you know, e even if you accept that there was a novel coronavirus um it, they, they couldn't keep up the fear for more mm. than two two, two three years because it's obvious to people that um you know 99.9 percent .9 uh do not die from this uh, uh virus 
So early on, they decided that they were going to introduce this concept of long COVID, right? And, 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 and if you look at like the Guardian, they, they, who are still, you know, hope, wishing that COVID would never go away. And every day they've got articles about long COVID and how serious this is and how much of a burden it's putting on the health service. And so any vaccine injuries can be explained by long COVID. Yeah. And I think this was planned from the outset. I think that the vaccine was planned from the outset and they would need to have some way of explaining some of these highly deleterious effects that the vaccine would be having on people. So I, I, I think that's what's going on here. Um, you know, we know that there are, you know, there's been research showing all kinds of things which shouldn't be in people's blood after having the vaccine. We know that these um, clots are occurring. We know that myocarditis is, is occurring. This is a crime against humanity. And mm. the fact that the BBC can only uh, smear people who've actually experienced the yeah. damage of these injections. That says it all. Brought to you by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Let me let me bring this because you had reposted this. Um, I meant to bring it up. You'd reposted this. And, of course, let me just mention now that Neil does write periodically for Gateway Pundit. Um, and I also now write for Gateway Pundit, fantastic news resource over in the US, I think two and a half million visitors a day, unique visitors. But this is one that Neil reposted on his Getter profile. 17-year-old student suffers heart attack after finishing cross-country race. Found two blood clots. Doctors baffled on exactly what happened. That was just days ago. Again, Neil, it's just a repetition, and you'd put this up. 17-year-olds um, should not be dying through blood clots. So what is happening? And if only they would begin to ask, well, what has changed? Well, the vaccine. Okay, let's look at that. Um, so it's, I think it's important to keep highlighting these stories uh, and for our viewers to pass them on to those who aren't getting it. Get them a list of them, and maybe you'll be able to hit home. But this is just another example of the tragic case of someone, a young person, killed because they're persuaded to get a jab. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, in many of the cases that are reported, uh, if you look at the, the, the newspaper or the BBC report, it won't mention whether the person had the vaccine or not. But sometimes you can do a little bit more digging and find, you know, that they were boasting about having had their Moderna shot on on uh, Twitter or Instagram or whatever, um, because th th this is th this is a problem for the authorities who will try to deny uh, yeah. any vaccine connection. Because if you think back to you know 2021 when lots of young people were getting the jab and boasting about it. It was a big thing for them, wasn't it? I mean, some of them were even getting tattoos made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a lot of these young people will, if you look back, have um, talked uh, very positively about having had the jab, and some of them will even have engaged in some uh, criticism of people that haven't had the jab. So... Um, it, 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 it is a problem. It is, you know, it's it's not hard to find that most of these people have themselves reported taking the vaccine. Yeah, and and, and, and if you look, this this the whole um, world now is trying to move on from COVID, and they're trying to get away from reporting the vaccination status of uh, people. So that you know, all around the world, we've had reports of hospitals being overwhelmed, even in summer, right? Something bad is going on, but there's no vaccination status 
in 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 those figures, which you know there really ought to be because that is why any departments are overwhelmed because yeah. there is so much myocarditis, epileptic seizures, uh, blood clots, and all kinds of other uh, often quite serious uh, health problems caused by these vaccines and. I think the number who have been killed, and you know, I, I would consult Steve Kirsch on this. Who uh, who we are having on in in a week? Well, I would strongly recommend everyone watch that interview that Peter is doing with Steve Kirsch. Um, Steve Kirsch is somebody who's a, got political background, yep. somebody who's really looked into the data, and he's not the only person that says this. From what he's looked at, he believes that hundreds of thousands mm -hmm. of Americans, people in USA alone, have been killed yeah. by these vaccines. Yeah, that's the reality. Absolutely. Um, let's let's move on to the events we started with around the Queen. Actually, sorry, I just see that Chris Davis there from Accrington, I think up in Lancashire. Uh, so there we have. At least one Brit watching. None. Uh, I haven't seen any other places, so drop your comments in. Let me bring up here. We have councils close cemeteries and reschedule funerals as grie as country mourns the Queen. Grieving families face disruption on Monday with local authorities cutting back services and shutting public buildings. Uh, uh, those of you who may even want your McDonald's on a Monday, I believe many of those will be closing. I'm not sure why a cemetery would have closed. Uh, I'm not sure whether that's, you couldn't really say that's what she would have wanted. But I, I don't know, Neil, whether this is just an excuse for councils not to do their job. Uh, but there's no need for everything to shut down um, simply because there's a funeral happening. Uh, I, again, I am a, have always been a, a great fan of the Queen and I'm uh, very concerned at what the future may hold uh, with her having gone but um, I, I think the public services should continue as normal uh, what do you think should everything shut down Neil uh, no, no not at all and and I think that what's happening uh, like what the, the, the scene that I came across today in central London and the closure of services, as in this um, Daily Mail report here, is a, 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 a similar theme. And it kind of goes against everything that we thought our country stood for, that we thought uh, the Queen stood for. Everything nowadays seems to be about reinforcing a message to the people that they don't count, mm. right? It's become becoming more and more like uh, living in like a communist country, like in the Soviet Union, where these services um, exist and they employ lots of people. But try and actually get something from these services and you will find that you, know, you are not a priority at all. And this yeah. has got worse and worse. Um, COVID was used... Um, to detach the health service from the people that it serves. But if, if you, you, you talk to people, and my own experience too, is that services like um, the Royal Mail, the railways, mm. libraries, everything now, they don't, and, and private companies too, they, they don't feel the same duty to serve the public that they did before. Everything now is about putting people in their place, getting them ready for what will become uh, almost total uh, control once they get us all onto digital systems, and then we'll have no rights at all. Well, we'll we'll touch on that. Actually, I think it's the last story we'll do on on digital ID. But um, let's go to Prince Andrew, uh, our great. Fan. I think it fits in with the, the funeral. He's been given the corgi. Someone posted that um, because he's such experience in grooming. That's why he's been given uh, looking after the corgis. Um, I can't find the meme. But let me bring this story. New York 
or the palace protected Prince Andrew. New York prosecutor Jeffrey Jeffrey Burnham Berman revealed he got absolutely nowhere with his efforts to bring the disgraced royal to justice over things to pedophile financer Jeffrey Epstein. It it's kind of sadly what you expect um, that he is above the law. Um, yeah, I maybe we'll never know exactly uh, what a awful, disgusting individual Prince Andrew actually is. Yes, and there's lots of uh, questions like that. You know, will we ever be given the truth about COVID? Will we ever be given the names of people in Jeffrey Epstein's little black book? Mm. Will we ever know the truth about 9-11? Will we ever know the truth about the moon landings? Will we ever know the truth about JFK's assassination? And it'd be easy to get very despondent about that because these uh, the tracks are very, very well covered and um, secrets are preserved and it's very hard for even the most, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, tenacious journalists to find out the truth, isn't it? Um, but there could also be threats made to people if, if they have the knowledge and um, so that that, not, that knowledge doesn't get out. Um, so will we ever know? Um, I, I think the problem is now, Peter, that the establishment, the sort of global establishment, if you like, so all the governments of the world put together, they've got so many secrets. Mm. They've got so many lies to hide that it's going to be increasingly hard for them to keep this up. And, and my, my hope is that at least some of the truth will come out. I, I don't think we're going to have an honest inquiry into COVID in the UK. Yeah, that's a whitewash, isn't it? It's the establishment marking its own homework. But there are people in the know. There will be some good men and good women I hope will come forward uh, with the truth. And um, uh, obviously that's going to be more difficult with a, a leading member of the royal family. Um, but who knows? Let, let, let's not be t too uh, negative about this. And, and I think if you ask people now, over the last two years, people's views have changed a lot. I've woken up a lot in the last yeah. two years, two to three years. If you ask people now, did the moon landings happen? And I think you would get at least a, a quarter of the population would say no. Whereas if you'd asked them that three years ago, you know, only a tiny, tiny minority fringe would, would have said, oh, no, I don't believe it. Mm. Um, because people have been, as eyes have been opened, and, you know, although the internet is increasingly controlled, there, that you can get to information if you want, still, mm. you can find it. And, um, and so there's no trust. And it's almost like everything the mainstream media tell you now, you kind of invert it to get the truth because it's yeah. all a pack of lies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to jump on to Sweden Digital ID and Green, uh, the environmental uh, agenda. I see that, who's um, LW Wright 1111 North Carolina, uh, great. I was looking at possibly visiting North Carolina soon. Um, Pems Head, Pembrokeshire, West Wales. Uh, there was percentage 62. Hello from Omaha. Uh, great to have you up there in Northern Ireland. But enough for a geography lesson. On to Sweden. And I did a, yesterday I did a special with this with Matthew Tiermond, who had been over there all week with the Sweden Democrats. And the, these are the headlines. These are repeated all over. Sweden election, how an ex-neo-Nazi movement became kingmakers. Um, they, again, that was maybe from decades and decades ago. Uh, it's all very different. But more than one in five Swedes voted for the radical anti-immigration Sweden Democrat Party in elections on Sunday. Um, they're now the second 
largest political party. They got 20.6%. Every election, the Sweden Democrats have increased their vote in the last 20 years. Unbelievable rise. Every election they've gone on top of it. Um, but this is absolute shockwaves through Scandinavia and through Europe. Um, and it's really exciting to see the people push back. Um, but, Neil, uh, it's, I guess we have to look at Europe because we don't see much seismic shifts politically here in the UK. So it is exciting when you see these shoots appear across mainland Europe. Yes. Uh, uh, and, you know, in the UK, and uh, particularly England, I would say, there's been uh, uh, quite a, a sort of fierce opposition to the uh, uh, COVID regime. And, and that group of people is very awake to the other scams that are going on, Ukraine and climate change and all that sort of thing. Um, but politically, we have got nothing here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we, you have to go to alternative media, if you like, uh, like, like Hearts of Oak, to get, uh, uh, you know, okay, GB News is giving a little bit more of, a, um, uh, of an opposing view now, but uh, it's still pretty much, um, uh, you know, it's, look, at it, look at who funds GB News and um, it's not never going to go too far, is it? Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have anything like what you've got in America. But we also, as you've just suggested, we don't have... Uh, any sort of political movement um, like they've got in some European countries, like you've got the uh, national rally in France, of course, Marine Le Pen. Um, and the Swedish Democrats have at last broken through. They've at last got into government. And I'll tell you something very interesting about uh, Sweden, which you may not know. Um, when you go to vote in Sweden, and the EU has, has actually told the Swedish government in the past that they need to change this, and I don't think they have changed it. It's that when you go to vote in Sweden, it's not as private as when you go to vote in Britain or in most other countries where you're given a polling card and you go off, you know, in the UK, you go off of your mm. pencil and you mark the box, don't you? In Sweden, you have to pick up the coloured card of the party that you're going to vote for. So you have to ask for the card for the party you're going to vote for. Now, you see how this works? Wow. With all the um, uh, social unacceptability, if you like, of um, uh, a party which is derided as far right. So it, the fact they got 20.6% is, is good. They could probably have got a lot more than that if they didn't have the, the whole of the mainstream media against them and that completely uh, unnecessary voting system, which means people have to actually signify who they're going to vote for when they want. Wow, I, I didn't know that. Um, it's it's exciting because there'll be horse trading. It took four days of counting when they actually realised what was happening. They expect the results on Monday morning. It took until Thursday until they could count. But it looks like Sweden Democrats will they will be in government. They probably Jimmy um, Atkinson Atkinson. Uh, I, I can't pronounce the Swedish name. He probably will be Deputy Prime Minister, maybe Minister of Interior as well. Similar role to Salvini had in the administration there. Um, it is really e exciting. They will be the largest party in that in the government, with the, the moderates being the second largest. Um, but that, yeah, we, we will see a pushback on Sweden's open-door immigration policy, which is fantastic. Well, you'd like to think so, Peter, but... I, I'd hold my breath on that. Mm. And there will also be threats made by right. the EU. Yeah. Um, you know, we've seen what's happened to Hungary. Yep. Hungary, their leader, um, Viktor Orban, has, I think, I think he's the most, has the highest percentage vote of any leader, or certainly one of the highest of any leader, yep. of the leaders in the EU. Yep. And um, that's despite the EU trying to um, uh, 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 rig the election against it. He got an enormous vote. 
And they're now saying that Hungary is no longer a democracy <laughs> simply because they don't agree with what the EU is doing and that they're standing up. Uh, here is a, uh, a magazine that you can pick up. I, I, I'm starting to write this magazine, Hungarian Conservative. Uh, Hungary is now being seen as the um, sanctuary of social conservatism, such that um, um, American politicians are taking a lot of interest in it. Uh, the, you know the CPAC conference, which yep. is like yep. yeah, Conservative Political Act Action Conference. They, they had it in Budapest yeah. um, this year. Um, and, of course, this is diametrically opposed to what the EU wants. So my guess is that if the Swedish government started to reduce um, refugees' rights, then th there would be some some turmoil and that the EU would try and engineer some internal conflict in Sweden to stop it. No, I agree. Let, let me just give our viewers, I was just checking because you, you mentioned they they have, it's been declared they are no longer a democracy by the EU. Uh, I'm just looking, Viktor Orban got 52.5% of the vote on the last election. Olaf Schulz, who is now the Chancellor of Germany, got 20%. So the leader of Germany with 20% is complaining that the leader of Hungary with 52% is not a democracy. Work yeah. that out. Yeah, and another example, uh, Peter, is Mark Root, mm. the Dutch um, Prime Minister. I mean, his party somehow got, I think it's about 27%. <laughs> and, that, that, and, and, and that government with, with the coalition is now doing terrible things uh, to the country. It's set up a ref reparation fund um, for slavery. Mm. And, of course, they're trying to close down much of the Dutch agricultural industry. Wow, wow. Um, let me correct. So, oh, sorry, Ola, in the last time, sorry, Olaf got 25%, but it's still half what Orban got. Uh, yeah. Numbers tell the truth. But, hey... Uh, I, maybe we should call Germany a non-functioning democracy if that's how they want to play it. Um, that, what did actually need? Sorry, before I bring that up, what did you think? Uh, I don't know if you saw about Germany announcing yesterday about arming themselves and making themselves the um, the the most was it the the most strongest army in Europe, um, mm. which is a obviously a, a massive change. There's been restrictions on Germany as there have been on Japan after the Second World War with Germany now demanding that they are the military powerhouse in Europe um, I don't know how that have you, did you see that when the announcement came out? I, I did see that yes and of course um, this goes against everything about the post-war settlement and um the, the boasts of the EU that they yep. have um, um, created peace in Europe. Europe is now banging the drums of war. Europe is now sending billion after billion after billion of citizens' money um, into the uh, conflict in mm. Ukraine. Mm. So uh, it's hard to predict where this is going to go. But it doesn't seem to me that there's going to be a happy ending to all this. Yep. yep, I'd agree. Let's bring up Digital ID. This was from, oh, what's the word? This is from reclaimthenet.org. Great, great organization. And the headline here is the EU is running a digital EU, a digital ID pilot. So you scroll down. We have the EU is preparing to launch a block-wide digital ID pilot that uses the EU's digital wallet. The pilot is a collaboration with banks and technology partners, including those providing biometrics-based facial recognition. The EU already has a digital identity wallet consortium, but this is a new one led by the Nordic Baltic ID project. And this is who is participating in this. Um, but it says, the, uh, so to six countries, Denmark, Germany, Iceland, uh, Italy, Latvia, and Norway, uh, it's moving towards 
well, full-on control of where we move across borders. But I get this is the natural progression of the EU, isn't it, Neil, that we are all to be monitored and controlled and no one can be trusted. Uh, thank God we're not in the EU, but this will come to us as well, I'm sure, in the UK. We're, we're, not, we're not cut off from this at all. No, not at all. And if you look on that map there, I think at least one of those countries isn't in the EU, Norway. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure about Iceland. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, the, the, these uh, schemes, it doesn't matter whether you're part of the EU. It doesn't matter about Brexit, really. Um, it, 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 I, I believe that the, uh, what the globalists want, it goes so far beyond membership of the European Union, doesn't it? It's all countries of the world. Uh, all, all developed countries of the world, at least, all Western countries. Um, and that, this is what we saw with COVID. It doesn't matter yeah. if you're part of any particular uh, political union. Uh, what, what can people do to stop this digital tyranny uh, when it seems like all of the power, uh, all of the money, all of the decision-making is in the hands of the powers that be, um, what what can we do? Well, we, we we first of all we have to be aware, and you know we we have to spread that awareness to make yep. sure other people realise that this will only lead to enslavement. Mm. Okay, what seems to be cool and convenient, you know, this eventually people will have these chips in their wrists, won't they? Like they've already got in Sweden, cool and convenient. Well. It, it's 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 a ball and chain, and and I think that things that people can do now on a day to day basis always use cash, insist yeah. on using cash. Take out enough money every few days, once a week maybe, um, from the bank, and 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 I, and I appreciate that some places you don't have bank machines. Um, in in ready access because so many of them have closed and you know this is this is what they're doing and it's probably getting to stage already where businesses that abandon cash will pay less insurance premiums than um, those that are still using cash. Um, it's so we we really are up against it. But just carry on um, living the old normal for as long as we can because. The, the more we do this, the more resistance we put up to this technocratic nightmare. Yeah. Let me read just one line from it. Uh, it says that they have presented a proposal that will allow for a large-scale cross-border payments pilot that aims to effortless, effortlessly combine identity and payments. If that doesn't concern you, then nothing will, and nothing will push you back to using good old cash uh, where you have control and the state does not follow you, access you, identify you, where you have privacy. Yeah, and, and a, a good sign, Peter, is that far more cash is being taken out of post offices and banks than, than uh, in the last few years. People are waking up yeah. and people are realizing um, the dangers, more and more people. And again, it's still only a minority of us, but it's a growing minority and it's our duty to spread that as, as much as we can. And, you know, I met a guy today, just a very, very quick, quick one. I, I met a chap today who uh, I used to drink with in a pub just after the, the lockdown and he and I used to joke about how we put these false names on the uh, on on the clipboard as he went in, you know. And and he was saying that he regularly goes into shops that don't take cash, fills up a basket, takes it to the till, and just it just forces them to have to go and put all this shopping away. <laughs> and, and 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 I think you know we we need to do things like that. Yeah. We need to make it difficult for for businesses that are collaborating with the government to take our freedoms away. Yeah, completely.
Well, let's move on to our last story. I just see Anderson777 on Getter. You're saying hello from Arizona. Great to have you uh, down there in Arizona. Our last story. Um, this is, a, I think, an editorial piece, really, in this. Uh, it was from a website. It'll be down, um, jalotnik.com, looking at car making. And the headline was, Making batteries for all these EVs will require over 300 new mines, satisfying global demand for lithium, cobalt, nickel, and graphite will literally take hundreds of new mines by 2035. And it goes into in-depth looking at how many mines there are at the moment um, and talking about there would need at least 384 new mines up and running in the next 10 years. This is a side which none of us are informed about or told about uh, of the destruction, often in countries where, like in Africa, where there's slave labor, we're using children. But of course, as long as the white liberals can get their battery-powered car, um, then they don't really give a damn about the destruction it caused in other countries. But, Neil, it's, I think it's good to highlight this because this side is often not shown. Well, there's a lot of naivety about this electric car thing. And your, your sort of middle class uh, families think you're already probably running a hybrid car. Some of them will even have mm. electric cars. And the, the thinking is that all of the, you know, the, the cars on the road at the moment, which are still vast majority of them are internal combustion engines, um, that they will just simply be replaced by electric cars and it'll all be so much cleaner and we'll be we'll all be living net zero and all that nonsense. Um, no, that is not the plan, Peter. That is not the plan. The plan is that people will not own cars. Uh, Klaus Schwab says this. You will own nothing and you will be happy, right? Now, he's not just talking about poorer people uh, like... Uh, you and I, Peter, talking about you know everyone but the elite, they will not own cars. That is not the plan. The plan is that there will be electric cars going around on some grand scheme, that much bigger than what we've got at the moment with Uber, and that people will um, hail um, cars. Uh, to take them where they want to be. They will not have a car on their driveway. That is not the plan. And if you look at the, uh, the, the smart cities project, now what do they say about smart cities? They call them uh, 15 minutes living, where you can do everything. Schools, libraries, parks, everything will be within 15 minutes and you won't be able to travel. You won't be able to leave the smart city um, without, um, you know, permission. You've done, you get some rewards for uh, um, pleasing the authorities in some way. Uh, of course, it'd be very difficult to get everybody in a country like Britain into smart cities. But if you look at what they're doing in other countries, um, where you know most people already live in 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 flats rather than houses, but. Look also at all the developments that are going on in the cities around the UK. It's all flats, flats, flats. And that's how they want us to live. They want us to live in the cities, in flats, and certainly not own yeah. vehicles. Oh, exactly. Um, Neil, on that, I think I'll bring us to a close. Thank you, as always, for coming along. People can find you on that Gab link, which is there in the description. Um, yeah, Neil, thank you for joining us and giving us your views on these stories this week. Thank you. And uh, another uh, vibrant conversation, Always. Peter. That Always. Let it. me just thank let you. our viewers know on Monday we've got AJ Rice. AJ Rice is, uh, oh, I had it in front of me, it's going to bring up. AJ Rice runs a big PR company, Publis PR in DC. Uh, he His PR company is a PR company for Naomi Wolf and her book, for Dr. Ben Carson and his latest book, uh, Don Bongino, Donald Trump Jr., uh, Peter Navarro. Uh, I could go on and on. The list is extremely long. He is a, a key person there putting out 
the good messages from those people completely on side he'll be with us on monday on his new book uh discussing how the woke ideology is affecting america but someone you want to listen to uh he is quite a key person over there so tune in on monday for aj rice and in the meantime have a good rest of your weekend enjoy your rest of your saturday wherever you are enjoy your sunday weekend and we'll be back with you on Monday evening with AJ Rice. So I think on that, good night to you all, and we'll see you on Monday. So thank you and goodbye. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list, donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.